a super important podcast about hair. Question mark. Featuring Ryan Teal and Stephen Adams as your co-hosts. Let's begin. Cool. I guess we're live. Okay. Well, um, welcome everybody that's that's watching us uh, all, either on Instagram or um, on my podcast, a super important podcast about hair. Stephen Adams wasn't able to join us. Um, I'm sure he'll try and like pop it at some point. It'd be really awesome if he interrupted us in the middle of a conversation. Um, anyhow, I want to introduce you to a really, really good friend of mine. Um, I've known this guy for, I mean, I, probably my entire adult career. I, I mean, my, uh, I, I remember seeing you guys. It was, it was you and Kelly and uh, Ira up in Portland all the effing time. And, and uh, you know, I, we've always had, you know, good times together. And we just, you know, maintained friendship after that. So I'm not going to really get really deep in your, into your history because I'd rather you do that. But everybody, you know, this is Abe Barron, a really dear friend of mine. And he also is the, the Hispanic country bear. <laughs> I'm native, my friend. <laughs> native, okay, native. Sorry about that. <laughs> Check it out. I, I, we moved to the desert and oh. I, I killed the rattlesnake. Did you kill it? Yeah, I took its head off and it's sitting in my freezer. So if you want to come eat it, but I made medicine bags out of the snake. That is so cool. Yeah, that's so rad, man. I, sh- I came home with the rattlesnake in my hand, all proud, like a, you know when the dog brings you shit. My wife's like, "What the hell?" Did you skin the whole thing? Skinned it, yeah. And yeah, you uh, should make a hat band out of it. That'd be a rad hat band. Well, I'll make you one. I'll go out and catch some more. Okay, please. <laughs> so, hey, tell us a little bit about your history, man. Uh, well, I've been doing hair for probably close to twenty-eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started uh, hair because my mom made me. Um, hairdressing wasn't something I wanted to do. I was a construction worker. So I was doing uh, anything and everything that had to do with landscape and construction, um, bricklaying, uh, concrete work, all that shit. And um, I was also running in gangs. And one day my mom sat me down because I had my first child in high school and said, you're going to join the Navy or be a hairdresser. And so I thought about the options and I thought, well, I don't know if I want to be on a ship with a bunch of guys. So I went, no idea what hairdressing was. Um, except that I was told that I'd be my own boss and uh, make my own hours. And I thought, cool, that sounds great. And so I became a hairdresser and went to school. And uh, it was really interesting. I went to Bay Vista Beauty College in in National City. And, you know, we go and travel and teach in these schools today. And I always tell the kids my school was like nothing compared to their school. Um, I had probably four or five people in my school get shot. Uh, two of them, uh, they was, uh, stabbed each other with scissors and, um, there's hey. bullets in the window. Hey, Adam, Steven, Adam, Steven, Steve. Steve. Adam, <laughs> What's going on? sorry, I was stuck with a client. No, that's totally cool, man. In fact, I even said it would be awesome if, if you jumped in halfway through it. Um, yep. so we already made the introductions, everybody, this is Steve, Steven, and then he's just talking about what, what beauty school he went to. So it's cool, you know, uh, I met Steven uh, real quickly at a show in Minneapolis uh, that me, Takashi, and Kelly were doing. And after we were up, he invited us to his, I think you were doing the grand opening. Of it your was salon. our second year anniversary, yep. Yeah, and we went down to the, to the salon after the show and stuff. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty rad. <laughs> it was like so crazy. Yeah. 
So there was, uh, I was talking about my beauty school. There was uh, uh, bullet holes still in the windows today from the drive-by shooting. So my school was a lot different than what kids went through today. And um, because I didn't know anything about hair, I didn't really care. Um, so I would do construction around the school for hours and for uh, like haircuts and colors and all that stuff that I didn't want to do. But you know how in school you have to do so many perms and so many, they would just write them off and I would go and just do stuff around the school and be like, okay, that's like 30 perms. So <laughs> no I never did anything in school, anything. So the learning curve for me when I left was insane. It was so difficult. Um, I was like, you know, late start and everything, but I was 19 and macho Mexican gangster, you know, construction worker. Everybody thought I was gay, so I was already fighting everybody uh, because of that. Nothing wrong with being gay, but coming from that culture that I was in, you know, I was like, that's not okay um, at the time. And it was, yeah, it was just a learning experience. It was just, I get to hang out with girls all day. That was kind of the cool part. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I joined. I think right. that's, what I, that's what I loved about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was it was a an interesting experience, and um, I ended up uh, we call it the I had to choose, right? So I I ended up saying, you know what, if I'm going to make this my career, I need to I need to choose it and, and figure it out. And uh, luckily, um, one day I was talking to a friend who let's see, right out of school I went to. Well, you guys know William William? Yeah. All right, so William came in and taught uh, at the school, and William it became a very big-time uh, session hairdresser, worked with some of the biggest magazines out there, and I said I wanted to work for him, and my teacher told me don't aim so high, and at the time, he was working for Jean Bra at uh, Chaffee Rouge, and um, I had no idea the salon was in San Diego, and I had gotten out of school and asked my teacher what I should do, and she said, oh, you need to go to like Supercuts or Fantastic Sam's and work in one of those areas and work your way up. So I went to Fantastic Sam's and I worked there for like two months and I wanted to quit. It wasn't what I thought it was. I wasn't my own boss. I wasn't making my own money. I couldn't dress how I wanted to dress and they were paying me minimum wage. And I had, you know, a kid that I had to support at 19. And, um, you know, my parents were pastors. So when I had my kid, they were like, you got to be man up and, and do this and be on your own. And, you know, they didn't like coddle and baby me and help me as much, you know. So... I was ready to quit and go back to construction. And a friend of mine told me that this woman was looking for an assistant. And I said, well, I don't want to be an assistant. I spent all this time and money in school. Why would I go assist somebody for and do all that shit? Well, I didn't pay. I got school for free because I went through a program. Uh, so my school was free. I didn't really do any hair. So I don't know what I was thinking with saying that. Um, but after about an hour of convincing me, he gave me the phone number. And the next day I dialed it. And what I didn't realize is I dialed the wrong number and I called Robert Salon. Yeah. And I didn't ask for her. I just said, Hey, I heard you guys are looking for an assistant. And they said, yeah. And I said, you guys are a home with salon with educators. And they said, yeah. And I said, I'm interested in the job. And they said, come in Friday. Uh, and then you have your interview. So that was, that was it. That was it. It was crazy. So I remember pulling up, to the, to the salon and there was this two-story salon in the ghetto that it was really ghetto. Strippers, uh, I mean, hookers and prostitutes, uh, which they're the same, right? And uh, pimps everywhere. Um, we just had to walk the clients down because it was, it was a pretty bad neighborhood. And I remember seeing this Mercedes pull up and it was total drug dealer status. And I was like, damn, that car is really cool. And then Robert pops out and I was like, holy shit, that guy's so gay. He was wearing like women's clothes. It was just like, you know, he's kind of weird looking dressed now. He was some completely different then. He was and, 
I remember walking upstairs and seeing him go up there and I didn't see the girl that was supposed to interview me anywhere. Like I was looking for the job and all I kept thinking was, please don't let it be him. Don't let it be him. And then he comes and grabs me and I was so freaked out. And uh, we sat and talked and in about 10 minutes into our conversation, I knew I wanted to work for him. Um, and uh, he had me hang out for a day. What made you change your mind? Everything he said. Um, I, we talk about to kids today, when, and when I say kids, I mean like younger hairdressers, and I always ask them what matters to them. And that's a really important thing for me, and I don't think people really understand the question when you ask them, and I don't think owners ever ask their employees this question. But you know, what mattered to me at the time was my children. Um, I had two kids now at, at, at this time when I started with Robert, and one day I was coming home from school, uh, from work, when I was in beauty school, I had three jobs and going to beauty school. And I was coming home from my, from my late night job and there was 12 guys with shotguns waiting to kill me. And they were outside my house and the window, the front window was a uh, all glass and my daughter's room was there and the crib was against the window. And any moment, they could, it could have been like a movie where they shot the window up and they would have killed her. Growing up, we were really poor and we moved like every year out of a house. My grandma had 12 kids. And basically, we were all in one house with their husbands, boyfriends, children. There was always about 25 people in the house. So we were moving all the time. So it was new school every year, you know, all these different things. And I wanted my kids to have the best where they went to school, kindergarten and high school, um, where they didn't have to share rooms with anybody and they didn't have to worry about the kind of life that I was involved in at the time. And so when Robert spoke to me, he said a lot of things that caught my ears on uh, how much money I can make and what I can do with my life that really clicked. And not only did he show, like, speak it to me, but he was showing me in, in what he was, his life looked like. And I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it for sure. And that's one of the things I tell a lot of kids today is like, if you want to be a six figure earner, you can't go work for somebody who only makes 50 grand. You know, how are they going to help you? Exactly. You know, if you want to work on set in Hollywood or on, in on uh, fashion sets and stuff, you can't go work for somebody who doesn't do that because how are they going to help you? So I definitely got a good mentor in Robert um, from the get-go. He instilled in me the business side first um, and then the creative side second. And um, I, 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 I never really say he taught, he's the one that taught me uh, how to cut hair. I think Takashi took me under his wing with that. Mm -hmm. um, very influenced by Takashi. Um, but Robert did show me how to be a really successful salon hairdresser. And, you know, people that see Robert on stage don't realize he's a whole different animal in the salon. And it's so different to watch him with his clients and how he finesses everything instead of just being the showman. It's, it's quite interesting. But I was glad that I got that impact of that. And it really helped me uh, in my career. Well, do you yeah. think that part of his showmanship actually carried over into the salon? Uh, no. Okay. Completely different in the salon. He's very business, uh, very customer service. Uh, very in tune with the clients. It's all about the clients. Um, it's not about him or his or who. And I, I, I say this, I haven't worked with him in the salon in a long time, but when I had him, it was different. You know, he, he was still just coming out of helping Gene. He was Gene's uh, assistant on the road. And, um, you know, he had just opened up a Robert Cromie salon. I was the first assistant for that salon. Uh, before that, he had his other salon and he had some people there. Uh, but he had just taken over for Gene. So he was a completely different person. And the way he was with clients was, it was pretty impressive to see. Um, and it's what he instilled in most of the people that work for him were, how do, you, how do you deal with clients on an everyday basis and make them, you know, spend as much money possible and love you mm. at the same time and bring your business? 
Yeah, it was interesting. I Robert and I shared a client back and forth who like lived between San Diego and Minneapolis. And she was like, Steven, you give me the best haircuts I've ever had. And then she'd just get this glaze over her eyes. But Robert, he loves me. <laughs> He's the only person who truly gets me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she, I, I really realized at that point that it's like, what he's doing on stage is one thing, but what he's doing behind the chair is a totally different thing. Completely. And, and for me, the sad part is that not enough people see that. And they see the showmanship of him and think that's all he is. And um, he's pretty brilliant in the salon. Yeah. Um, and his, his uh, I should say his ex-wife, Margaret, uh, she was the real business person behind it all who, who did so much uh, and she taught us so much in how to book and sell retail and, yeah, how to carry ourselves. But, you know, I was so green and so uh, ghetto at the time. What he would do is he would make me watch certain uh, TV shows and he would also uh, give me money to go out to different places to experience nice things. So I can adapt to the clients that I had, right? So if I had young clients who liked to party, you know, I had to know the clubs. So he would send me to certain spots uh, to do that. And if I had clients who were, you know, money, he would send me to nice restaurants to experience. So I had things to talk about with different people so I could be like a chameleon to people. Um, I had it a lot harder um, than most at the time because I was completely, so I'll just give you an example. When I went for my job interview, I had Dickies that were three sizes too big. I had a Pendleton, kind of like your, is it a robe you're wearing, Ryan? I had a, a Pendleton that was button, two buttons up and everything was open. I had corduroy house shoes. I was like straight boys in the hood, gangster. Robert says in his first CDs, I'm on him, that he only hired me because he was scared I was going to do a drive-by shooting. I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. My first party I went to with Robert, I brought him uh, a 40 Old English in a brown bag. And he was all nuts. And I was, he was like, what the hell? And I was like, we're drinking this tonight. He's like, no, 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 I, don't, I have my wine. I'm like, nope, you're drinking with me tonight. And we were on the patio. And he gets it and tries to pull it out of the brown bag. And I'm like, you got to leave it in the brown bag. He's like, why? Nobody's here. And I'm like, oh, this is the way you do it. And right before he was going to take his drink, I grabbed his arm. And he says, I thought we were drinking. I said, you got to drop some off of the homies first. He's like, I don't have any homies. I'm like, you can share mine. We'll do this right. <laughs> so I had a, a different thing because people were scared of me. You know, I, I tattooed up and I, I had a shaved head and I looked like straight from the street. So he had to refine me in a whole different way. So I think him refining me as a person first and then refining me as a hairdresser second uh, was how we did it. But yeah, it was, it was some special and good times back then when we first started. Now, I remember, I've heard a story where you moved up the ranks at um, Arcs rather quickly um, as a colorist and, and you have a, a disability when it comes to color. Um, that I think is freaking amazing that, you know, why don't, why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I was born colorblind. Um, and uh, I was deathly scared of color. And one day I saw a movie called Dearly Beloved. It was about Beethoven. Mm-hmm. And Beethoven was deaf. Mm-hmm. And I watched this movie. And at the end of it, I was so inspired that this man who couldn't hear made the most beautiful music. And it didn't let him handicap him. And how he did it was he would, you know, feel the vibrations and figure it out. So what I started doing with uh, Robert was I would ask him what he saw with his clients. And then in my eye, I would register what he saw and then remember it. So when I saw it in my chair, I would go back to what he told me it was. Right. So I'm not 
completely fully black and white colorblind. I see certain things. So I can catch things and then I just remember and I, say, I would say, oh, Robert told me this color was, in his eye was this and this level. So now I know how to go back and forth. But it's, it's you know, disabilities or handicaps are what people make of them, you know? And at any time of the day, you can go into my salon and I literally have four or five uh, uh, color formulas that I use all day long. <laughs> I have a, 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 this is how I equate it. Clients want to be red or not red. Right, so I have a, a color that's red and a color that won't be red. You know, I have a blonde that's warm and a blonde that's not warm, and I have a couple toners that'll go either way. <laughs> so, I just today, earlier today, I do you remember Chris? Yes. Chris I just yes. There, she said to say hi, and she said that you have a look, the look for those tough clients. I wanted to yes. see what that is. Well, I don't know if I can give it to you. Right and asked her to tell me what she wanted she would come into the salon her and tiffany uh our friends that's how i got chris and they were there they were the clients that they would come in say you know now and they would want this color and then six weeks later they want the completely opposite and then think that it would happen like right there and then and, and expect it, you know? And it was just like, oh my God, I can't do this. And I would tell them like, okay, you got to promise me the next time you won't change it. They're like, no, no, we're going to wear this for a while. And then the next time they come in, they're like, no, I want to change it. So I'd give them the death stare. Like, I'm going to stab you in your throat. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had a, a client once, uh, her name was Bonnie, Bonnie Albert. She was an older lady and she would come in and she was always like nervous in my chair. And I had been doing her hair for years. And one day I was like, Bonnie, I said, why are you always nervous when you're in my chair? And she says, well, she's like, can I be honest with you? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I get really excited to come see you to get my hair done. I said, but before I leave the house, I start to get this kind of panic attack that I'm going to come in, sit in your chair, and you're going to stab me. <laughs> and I said, stab you? No, I'm not going to stab you. Why would I do that? She's like, you just have this, you, I just get this feeling sometimes that you just want to stab people and you're going to stab me. And I said, no, I would never do that to you, Bonnie. I'm so sorry you feel that way. She's like, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <It doesn't work>. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, well, I can add it to the service. You know, 50 bucks, I just stabbed you a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that's yeah. So, so um, you know, you, you moved up the ranks with, with, with Robert, especially like in the heyday of the whole like art team and all that kind of stuff. And really, I think, not really maybe the Paul Mitchell heyday, but definitely the, the arc heyday. Like, like, like that was definitely like, like a really great time for that. And I, I look back at those times, you know, wonderfully that I wanted to be you guys. Um, but then, you know, like, like you, you kind of got out of the whole, like, you know, you, uh, uh, working with Robert, you open your own salon. What are you doing now, man? I mean, and, and what's going on now? Um, now I have a salon with my, my second wife, um, which you guys know, Melissa who in her own right is an amazing, brilliant hairdresser. Um, which I, I think that, she, that you're very lucky to have her, by the way. I, I think she's better than you. She's better than you. When we were dating, uh, she was in Australia. I had no idea she had moved to Australia. And um, we started connecting and uh, doing kind of like Skype, like what we're doing now. And uh, I had flown out there to take her on a date and hung out with her for a little bit and came back home and she was coming home for something and Wynn asked her to be a part of Caper. 
And I told her, I said to her kind of joking, half jokingly, but kind of serious. Cause you know, when I was with Robert, I was, you know, you said you were doing, you did 41 weekends a year. I was doing 39 to 40 weekends a year on the road, mm-hmm. constantly all over the place. And uh, it, it, I feel bad for some of the Paul Mitchell people because we kind of, Robert made it a way where we kind of took over everything and we were doing all the shows and stuff for, and there was people there and I worked through the, the program with Gene and all that. So, you know, I had put in work, but there was a lot of people that put in work that kind of got cut out and I felt really bad for. Um, but I had told Melissa, I said, Hey, I said, how does it feel to date a hairdresser who's more famous than you? And she kind of just smiled and didn't answer. And when we get to caper, I had been away from Paul Mitchell now for like five years at the time. And, uh, we get to caper and I had this whole group of kids run up to me and they were all excited. And I look at Melissa, uh, over to Melissa, she was kind of farther away and I was trying to give her the look like, yeah, you see people know me. And they literally come up to me and say, we saw you on Melissa's Facebook. You're her boyfriend. Can you get her to get a picture with me? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) damn it. (laughs) But we have a salon in San Diego called the workshop. Uh, she also, we also have a small space in LA where she works because she's doing TV and movies. Um, and then we just do education, uh, teaching and coaching. And um, I think we really like the coaching aspect of it. You know, I, I feel like when you get up and do hair for people nowadays, it's kind of to show that you have to get their, their respect in a way to figure out if you know you're a hairdresser. I prefer to talk and coach uh, of everything that I've learned in my life and be able to help them. I think that's more impactful than me being a, I call it a, uh, a, uh, a entertainer for 20 or 30 minutes, right? Because they're never going to duplicate it. They're watching you. They're never going to do it. You know, it's not a hands-on, one-on-one. I'm like, I'd rather give you something that's insightful. Um, but we live in uh, La Quinta now by Palm Desert, and we're just kind of chilling out, enjoying life right now. And um, Melissa has uh, tendonitis in the arm, so I've been doing a little more work. Um, she's trying to rehab that. Um, but, yeah, things are good. Yeah. So – elephant in the room um first of all man i i remember when you i, I don't know if, uh, if i remember when you got your first camera but i remember when you told me that you're gonna start shooting uh so you started shooting and then you also like like you started to make your name outside of the industry and and um like so many people had like all mentioned like old paul mitchell days and so, like some people and they're like dude abe and melissa and what abe is doing right now yeah uh, uh humanitarian you know wise it's it's like, dude, you're, you're actually starting to walk on water and you're leaving a legacy. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you're doing with that? Because I just think that's freaking amazing. I think it's awesome. It we, is. You know, we always did all the photo shoots and stuff. And one day I told Melissa, you know what? I'm going to buy a camera and we're going to do our own. Uh, and I'm gonna, I, we worked with so many amazing photographers. And I thought they showed us so much because it wasn't always. And I always tell kids, do you want to get good at cutting hair? you got to look through the photographic lens mm-hmm. because you're going to see things differently, right? I tell them, take your phone, go shoot something 50 times and watch the perspective change after the, the first to the 50th because your eye starts to change. I bought the camera and went to shoot hair and was so burned out of hair that I was like, I'm not doing this. And I fell in love with street photography. And one day I had a cancellation and it was really cold that day and I went out to shoot and I went home to get a jacket. And um, my wife had just watched The Minimalist on that stupid show so she was getting getting all my shit ready to give away and when i had come home and she's like here you have all this stuff you don't wear you need to give it away so i took it out and it was probably like 10 sweaters a couple beanies and within 10 minutes of hitting the street i had given it all out and i saw two people on the street with uh no socks 
And I remember as a kid, my mom telling me that the keep warm, you have to have socks on or else you're going to get sick. And I just felt sick to my stomach. So I went home and grabbed some of my pictures um, that I had taken um, from my uh, ph photography and went into the salon the next day and told all my clients that whatever they gave me for them, um, I'm going to take and go buy socks. So I went and I had enough. I bought 50 pairs of socks. Uh, each sock had two granola bars and a hand warmer and a foot warmer. And I went out and passed them out. And it really touched me and it broke my heart. So I wrote a story about it on Facebook and a client of mine saw it. Her name was Wesson. She was in Vegas and she sent me an email and says, I just bought you 50 hoodies to go pass out. And I'm going to give you 50 bucks to go buy uh, dollar double cheeseburgers at Wendy's. Will you go do that for me when you go out on your next one? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, I wasn't planning to go out again, but okay. And so I raised enough money to, to double the cheeseburgers. We did a hundred cheeseburgers. And then I did, uh, I added 50 socks, 50 hoodies, 50, uh, or 50 beanies and 50 gloves, uh, 200 hand warmers uh, with the, the hoodies and we went out and passed them out. And it just started rolling from there. People wanted to get involved and homeless problem is, is really huge and, 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 and bad right now. Uh, San Diego has the fourth largest homeless population in the country. As a state, we have the number one uh, homeless problem, uh, over 130,000 people on the street. And people think that they're just, you know, people that want to be out there, mental or druggies, they always have these reasons, but a lot of them are just hurting and they're out there and I've learned so much about them. So what I started doing was photographing them and telling their stories and using it to raise money to go out and help them. So we go out uh, twice a month and go and, and, and feed and clothe uh, the homeless. And then that turned into helping um, the la la two years ago, the immigrants that came in the caravan, um, they were out in the rain with nothing and all the chaos. And I got a lot of flack for it, you know, and, and it's funny because I get people that tell me, well, why don't you help the homeless here in San Diego? And it's like, I do. I help both. Come, come with me. Yeah. And then they just shut up and they don't want to help. You know, they all talk. But to me, it's not where they're from. It's they're human, you know, and that's the bottom line. And, and I have an opportunity to help them. Uh, and, and we do. You know, I raised money and I went down and took my truck and filled it to the brim, overloaded it. And we had water, and diapers, food and tents and just to help, you know, and, and get it out there. Because, you know, I think now more than ever, people just need uh, to feel like they're seen and feel loved, you know. So, and I think that that's a big part of, of who I've become as a hairdresser. You know, it's not so much about the fame and, and who knows me and what my name is, but how am I, how am I living my purpose out with what I do to help people, you know? Um, and that's what I try to do. And, you know, I just have to say that, that you've always inspired me to be a better hairdresser, but that story makes me want to be a better man. You know, you. I, I really applaud you. I, I, I'm so proud of you. Like you wouldn't even believe. Exactly. It's a, that's an amazing story. I, I'm wow. I haven't heard all of it before. So this is like great. And hopefully it'll like, it's making my mind think about what I can do in my own community. And I think it's, it'd be how, how cool would it be if everybody everywhere did stuff like this? We wouldn't have a problem. At all. But, you know, it, it, here's what I told me when I told the client one day who was talking to me about it and how she felt about it. She didn't know I was helping the homeless and she kept saying all this stuff. And I said, you know, out of everything, when I give them stuff, all they want to do is talk to me. They want to feel human and in that yeah. connection. I, there's a six month period, I say, if they're on the street at more than six months, you can't get them off. It's when most of them start doing drugs. I've met so many on, that have cancer or broken limbs that they're on drugs because of the pain, not because they want to get high. Women get raped 
on the street all the time. So they get high to kind of deal with all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I told her, I said, next time you see one, don't turn away because we either turn away and don't want to see it or we try to start to judge them. I said, look at them in the eye and just say, hi, how you doing? And she came back in the salon and she says, Abe, you know, a homeless guy was coming up to my car and I kind of started to look away and I remember what you said and I looked at him and I said, hey, how you doing? And he thanked me and then had a little conversation with me and said, thank you for talking to me. Like more than anything, if you just talk to them and make them feel loved, that's what's important, you know? And I think you, you should see the, the, some of the flack I get because I do post stuff um, that can be kind of political uh, on certain aspects and people that are higher up in certain companies that will write me and tell me, you know, almost threatening like my job and stuff. And it's just like, you know what, that's not okay. I, I don't care if I ever work or don't work as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is what my heart says right now. And I'm, I'm doing good. I don't care what side. This is what I tell people. I don't care about your politics. I care about your heart. Yeah. Bottom line. That's it. You know, show me what your heart is and, and, and I'll do it. And, and I was told a long time ago, and this really stuck with me. Uh, Kelly Cardenas told me, he says, we get paid for a service, which makes us a servant. Whether we like that idea of what that sounds like or not. Right. And we were all created to serve people. Everything that we do in life is to serve others. Every job you have is to serve somebody else in some capacity, right? And I think that that's our purpose in life is to serve others, you know? And, and I, I, I won't stop doing that regardless of what it costs me. You know, I, it's- what, Regardless of what some marketing department says, you're saying good or bad. I, right? I, I think that's, that's staggering, man. I, I, I love that. Yeah, thank that's, you, thank you. That's so it's, awesome. It's it's been a journey and you know, we, we ran to this thing the other day and my wife wanted to get it and it was this um, new healthcare thing. It was a Christian based healthcare where they didn't call it healthcare, but what you did is, you know how people in church give tithes and they give money? Well, basically it's, you're giving a gift every month of the same amount and you can pick gold, silver, platinum, whatever, right? So say you get 300 a month, it's 300 a month every single time. When you go to the doctor, you, you pay fully, and then you return the seats, receipts over to this company and then whatever they have, you know, from everybody giving, they use to pay off your bills for the, for the hospital, right? And I was like, well, this is kind of interesting. It's an interesting concept. But then I started looking at the rules and it was like, well, you have to go to church. You have to be a Christian. You have to do it. And it's just like, that doesn't help anybody. Like you think you're, being, you're, you're living off the scripture of, 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 of being a good Christian and helping others, but you're excluding a whole set of people. I mean, can you imagine if the society we did that? We just pulled a shit ton of money and people wouldn't need, you know, it's like, why can't we do that stuff to help other people that really, really need it? You know, it's like, I would tell people, stop giving to the churches, make a bank account, give everything to the bank account, you know, start tithing them and put the, that money to work for real for people like that are homeless and immigrants. And that's what the church is supposed to do. I don't want to do a church conversation. It just irritated me because I think we, we want to exclude everybody all the time. Yeah. You know, and we do this in, in groups, you know, every day we exclude people because of a certain way or a certain thing. We don't know their stories or what's happening with them. Yeah. Sorry for my rant. No, no, no. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> it's the, this is the format for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I love I love that story so much, and and I don't think we've actually been able to chat about it much. So I'm actually glad that we've we've been able to that you've been able to you know share it on on our on our platform. Well, um, anytime I'm in your town, if you guys want to go out, I'm I'm all about going out in different cities and and doing the work and putting out. People always ask me about do you cut hair out there, and there's so much stuff that can happen, and I know people do it, but 
I'm trying to raise money to have a portable shower uh, to do it. My ultimate goal, here's my ultimate goal. I want a building. And in the building, I want to have uh, men and women showers. I want to have a full-on industrial laundromat. I want to have uh, storage units, PO boxes. I want to have a six-chair salon where hairdressers come and give their time. So the, what you learn is it's hard for them to get off the street because they don't, they're not clean. Uh, they're not groomed. Um, they don't have clean clothes. Uh, they don't have the proper uh, stuff because what happens is they get their th stuff thrown away. So they lose their birth certificates and all that stuff. They don't have good credit. And most jobs now do credit reports before you get hired. Um, so if I can set up a system where they can get clean clothes, get groomed, have storage to put all their personal stuff in and help them get jobs that way. What's that? They have a mailing address. Yes. All of that stuff. They have a mailing address and it's like gives them a home base. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my ultimate goal. That's yeah. a great goal. Try to get one in every city to help everybody so people don't be shipping people out to different parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, not to change the subject, but we only have, uh, see, about three more minutes left. Um, and one thing that I like to ask almost all of our, our guests is, you know, I'm a big music freak. I know Steven's a big music freak. Um, so I got to ask you, what are you listening to like that right now? Like, like what are your top say five bands you're listening to right now? Oh, bands. I, I don't even know if I listen to, if it's current, I would say probably the number one is, uh, Chris Stapleton. Okay. I like Chris Stapleton. I look like Chris Stapleton. So. <laughs> so Southern rock blues. He's not even country. I don't know why they have him in there, but it's okay. He's really, really amazing. Have you heard the Johnson brothers? Yes. His other band? Freaking awesome. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm an enigma when it comes to music. Like one day I'll be at a concert for Andrea Pacelli and then the next day I'll be at Jay-Z. Okay. Know, and I love that. See, I am too. So I, I totally dig that. I think we there's all a, there's yeah. a new guy named Durant Jones. Okay. Yeah. And he is like a throwback guy. His, his music sounds like it's low rider, like 1950s, 60s oh, cool. music. It's really, really good. Um, I'm loving him. Outside of that, I listen to old school hip hop. Uh, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, you know, Jay Z, uh, Big Daddy Kane. I like old school hip hop the most. Um, but I was raised on uh, oldies and uh, and uh, like 60s and 70s rock. Yeah, I love me some Leonard Skinner and Jimi Hendrix and all that stuff. I'm, I don't know new music today. Um, this is going to be so bad. John Mayer can play the shit out of a guitar. Okay. And I don't like the man, but I saw him live because my wife likes him, and I was blown away with how talented he is with the guitar. I was like, wow, this guy's really good. I like I people that are really talented. I was going to for like John Mayer and being a, a straight yeah. male hairdresser, but, but I mean, since he's there with your wife and all that, and that's okay. <laughs> Jason Mraz? That's, that's all my wife's influence. My, my parents are like, she's making you white, Abe. What the hell? <laughs> Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't even like John Mayer, so. I don't like well, my, John Mayer that much either, but that's okay. <laughs> no, but I, I love, I love, um, I love Chris Stapleton, so I, I mean. And Gary Clark are, Jr.? You guys listen to Gary Clark Jr.? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He can play the guitar, too. He's, oh, uh, that guy can just rip it. His new song, I don't know if you heard it, where he basically tells the government to fuck off. <laughs> oh, sorry, I said the F word. No, that's, no. You can, that's fine. He, was, he just moved to Austin, and he was standing outside of his house, and a guy came over and asked him, you know, who, about the house, and he didn't believe that he owned it. And he was like, it's my house, and he didn't believe him. He wanted to call the cops on him, and he wrote a song about the whole incident. It's really powerful. Yeah, oh, it's really good. I'll look it up. Yeah. I'll look it up. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, uh, how can people get a hold of you? If somebody wanted uh, either you or Melissa or both of you to come to, the, to your salons, how, how's the best way for them to get a hold of you? They can email us at the workshop hair. Okay. Com, or uh, Instagram, a Baron photography. Okay. Uh, Melissa Jacquois. It's funny. I get people that go on my Instagram. They're like, you're not a hairdresser. Cause I don't post much about hair. You know, they're like, you're a photographer. And I'm like, no, I'm really a hairdresser. I just kind of, you know, post more about photography than I do. Exactly. I love that you transcended it. I, lo- I mean, I, I think that you're a hairdresser and you're, you've always been a great hairdresser. I Thank love you. the fact that you've transcended it. And now you've, you've even transcended it in like your actual own personal life and you, you know, you're creating a legacy as well. So, I mean, like I said, I, I look yeah. up to you so much. Thank you. I love like your night photography. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. I go out at night. My wife packs me. It's like, you know, when your wife packs your lunch, she packs me in my bag and gives me my knife. And she's like, be safe. Cause I go out to the craziest ghettoest places in the middle of the night to shoot. Cause that's where the cool shit's at. Yeah. So I go out there and I'm out there at two in the morning. I've had cops pull guns on me. I'm like, okay, this is maybe I shouldn't do this, but it's fun. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna cut it off. Um, love you very, very, very much, Abe. Um, please okay. give Melissa a big hug for me. Um, I would love to get her on this at some point. Uh, she would love it. And uh, you know, people always ask us together, and I always think it's better separate because we have so so much different stuff and then you lose it when we're together. I, I think so too. I originally wanted both of you, but I actually, you know, I actually like, like that it was separate. I think it's better. Yeah. I'll tell her she would love to do it. Cool. Oh, tell her happy birthday is tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. 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 Your birthday is like one day before mine. So I always remember that. She's going to be 53. Huh? Whoa. Yeah. She's a oh. year older than I am. Easy. Yeah. Right. How old are you? I'll be 52 on the 21st. Wow. How old are you, Ryan? 24. Yeah. <laughs> you look like a 24 year old Ryan. <laughs> but you act like one. I just, um, I just turned 45. Did you? Actually, yeah. awesome. congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. When I met Melissa's dad, she was, he was like, How old are you? And I didn't want to tell him because I knew she was older. You know, you've got to say something. He was like, He looked at Melissa and said, You're a cougar. <laughs> I, I told her the other day, I said, you're going to turn 53. You're no longer a cougar. You're an owl. Like, an owl? I said, yeah, an old white lady. <laughs> she didn't think that was funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. And hey, um, uh, 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 catch another rattlesnake for me, because I te- definitely want either a medicine uh, bag or a hat bag. All right. I'll get one for you. Steven, you missed it. I, I, can you oh. see So I was, I was coming out to my car and the rattlesnake was right in front of my door and wouldn't let me in. So I had a conversation with the rattlesnake and asked him to leave and he wouldn't leave. And so I tried to kick dirt on him and he wouldn't go. So I took a shovel and took his head off and uh, I skinned it and it's sitting in my freezer waiting to be cooked. Cause you know, my dad always taught me that you use every part of it. Um, yeah. I'm going to the bones for jewelry. Uh, the, the backbone of the snake is really cool for necklaces or uh, bracelets. Yeah. And then I use the skin for, for this but you know when i made this i remembered robert do you remember his anaconda suit it was like twelve thousand dollars it was like the price of a honda civic that he wore every single day which i would wear every day if i paid twelve thousand dollars for that damn suit i'm like i'll make one out of rattlesnake and just wear it around and say i paid 12 grand for it because i'm in the desert and i can find them all day long for free (laughs) (laughs) i will find you a rattlesnake it'll be yours (laughs) i would love that all right awesome thank you guys very much love you guys
so good seeing you. Thank you so much again for listening to a super important podcast about hair. Featuring Stephen Adams and the host Ryan Teal. Hopefully we'll see you again. If you want to